Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, and as always, Oncopharm is brought to you by the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, and I am recording this not from my office, but from a classroom, because my computer is still uh, in the shop, so to speak. Uh, so you may hear the audio a little bit different here. Uh, so again, apologies for, for not being able to put out a pod last week. Um, today, we're talking about methotrexate, an oldie but goodie. Uh, this is also known as amethoptrin, uh, not to be confused with aminoptrin, and we'll talk about that, uh, commonly abbreviated MTX, although that is an unapproved abbreviation, and you should not use it in clinical documentation, uh, brand names uh, Rumatrex and Traxol, but for the most part, people just say methotrexate. Uh, so the history of this is, is really fascinating, uh, and to be honest with you, is really the birth of modern chemotherapy. I guess you could you could debate the importance of methotrexate versus nitrogen mustard. Uh, methotrexate was the you know the first drug probably involved in curing somebody uh, with cancer. So uh, so I favor methotrexate as kind of the birth of modern chemotherapy. Uh, if you go to PubMed and search methotrexate and then limit to clinical trials, which is kind of my cheat way or, or quick way to find uh, information quickly. Uh, the first reference you see to methotrexate is in blood in 1965, and certainly we were using methotrexate before that. Not we, because I'm not that old, uh, but this is a publication by uh, Emil Fry and colleagues um, basically looking at 6MP and methotrexate in three different ways for, uh, for ALL. Um, two in combination and one is sequential treatment. So methotrexate comes originally um, to us um, in the late 40s, uh, Sidney Farber, he was a hematopathologist um, in Boston at, at Massachusetts General Hospital, I believe. Uh, yes, Farber is in Dana-Farber, the big cancer center there. So uh, this, this comes out 1948-1949, depending on where you read. Uh, so he was, uh, as legend goes, uh, sick and tired of seeing uh, all these leukemia slides, uh, you know, basically uh, a child would come in, suspected for leukemia, they draw blood, uh, peripheral smear, he would look at it, review it, and say, this looks like acute leukemia, ALL, in kids. And these leukemia cells were big, uh, so they were, they were, they were macrocytic, they were large cells, and uh, red blood cells get big if they're deficient in folate. So he had the idea, hmm, well maybe these are, uh, you know, folate deficient, why don't we just give folic acid? Reasonable hypothesis, the test is, you give folic acid. What happened? Well, the leukemia got worse. Uh, and intuitively, this makes sense now. Leukemia is uh, rapidly growing cells, uh, so they need lots and lots of uh, raw material to make uh, DNA. And folic acid is one of those raw materials that we're going to see. So if folic acid made things worse, one, our first hypothesis died cold. Uh, this forms a new hypothesis. Well, a folate supplementation makes the cancer worse. Maybe an antifolate will make things uh, better. And so aminoptrin was the first antifolate, um, and that induced some remissions in children. And, and the story in ALL goes that remissions never lasted until we learned how to add the right drugs and the right combination and how to, how to uh, prevent CNS relapse with either radiation or intrathecal chemotherapy. Uh, but that was aminoptrin, the first one used, and, and aminoptrin is not the same as amethoptrin, which is actually methotrexate. And they were compared to each other, and uh, methotrexate uh, was found to have a better um, um, safety to toxicity profile uh, or efficacy to toxicity profile in mice. So therefore, methotrexate what was used going forward. So you guys probably already know this, but it inhibits 
dihydrofolate reductase, which is a, a key enzyme in one carbon transfer, which is a necessity for DNA replication. So this is a cell cycle specific agent, and inhibiting dihydrofolate reductase decreases synthesis of thimidylate as well as purine base pairs. Um, and the affinity of methotrexate for dihydrofolate reductase uh, is based off of the intracellular concentration uh, and retention of methotrexate. And both the affinity for dihydrofolate reductase as an enzyme and the intracellular retention of the drug is increased by polyglutamation. So that's the adding of different glutamic acid residues to methotrexate. Uh, and guess which types of cells are really, really good at, at polyglutamating methotrexate? cancer cells. Uh, that's one of the reasons methotrexate is very effective. Uh, so I think of these cancer cells as um, requiring a whole lot of folic acid. So methotrexate, very similar to folic acid. So the cancer cells are thinking, hey, if we add these glutamic acid residues to this, we don't need to get as much folate because the methotrexate is going to bind to it better. They don't know it's methotrexate though. Um, methotrexate typically, as well as folic acid, typically enter the cells, uh, normal cells, uh, via an active uh, an active pump. So it requires a little bit of ATP to get methotrexate or folic acid into the cell. And in some cancer cells, that active transport is, uh, is a little deficient. Uh, and, uh, you know, and you can kind of think of the, the compensation the cancer cells have are this polyglutamation. Uh, and the fact that polyglutamated methotrexate has a higher affinity for dihydrofolate reductase and stays in the cell longer and because it's less susceptible to like a P-glycoprotein or drug efflux pump. That's going to be important when we talk about modern uses of methotrexate, which is going to be for, for high-dose therapy. Um, so historically, methotrexate uh, in the 1950s was used for ALL, so induction for uh, acute leukemia in children. Uh, and then later, uh, currently, we really use methotrexate as maintenance uh, for people with, uh, with ALL, taking basically methotrexate every day um, for uh, a number of years, really, so one to two years. Um, this was the M in CNF, our very first adjuvant uh, regimen for uh, a solid tumor. Uh, it's used in head and neck cancer, uh, the standard dose being 40 milligrams per meter squared. Uh, and I'll point out that um, in CMF, there are both IV um, uh, regimens for IV methotrexate or oral methotrexate for CMF. Uh, in 1966, we get the first... Uh, in animal model of high-dose methotrexate in leukemic mice, and this was done by Golden at the NCI uh, and published in 1966. And that was the birth of, of high-dose methotrexate, and that's where we use methotrexate the most today in oncology pharmacy circles. In rheumatology circles, methotrexate is used a lot for RA uh, and other rheumatologic conditions, and that's a, usually a once-weekly dose. Um, and we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, but we don't use it a whole lot. Um, the mechanism is different. It's believed to be inhibiting uh, ICAR, which is another enzyme in that folate pathway that increases extracellular uh, adenosine, which has anti-inflammatory properties. And that's believed to be um, the mechanism behind the, the, the rheumatologic uh, use of methotrexate. Nowadays, we don't give a ton of standard dose methotrexate, that 40 milligrams per meter square. Uh, the times that I've seen that used, uh, standard dose, uh, a few CMF patients who, who physician didn't think could tolerate a, a, a modern uh, breast cancer adjuvant regimen like AC, or a head and neck cancer patient who had failed everything else, uh, and then as well as ALL uh, maintenance. So back to high dose methotrexate, we you know, loosely define this as anything more than a gram per meter squared. 
So a typical dose is 40 milligrams per meter squared, and we're talking 1,000 milligrams per meter squared. And that dose uh, can be, you know, 1,000 milligrams per meter squared. That's what is basically in your hyper-CVAD regimens for ALL and, and Burkitt's lymphoma. Uh, or 12 grams per meter squared, like an osteosarcoma. And usually that 12 gram per meter squared dose, those protocols have a, a hard cap at 20 grams. Um, so you see this for ALL, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, primary, primary CNS lymphomas. Uh, I'll say that if you're using this for primary CNS lymphoma, you're usually going to see doses of at least 3.5 grams per meter squared. It's believed that you need to have at least 3 to 4 grams per meter squared per dose. Um, to get uh, significant uh, blood concentrations into the brain to treat primary CNS lymphoma. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about high-dose methotrexate uh, shortly um, because it's crucial. It is something that's deadly if done incorrectly, and there's a big role for oncology pharmacists to make sure it is done safely and appropriately. Um, as we talk about the toxicities or transition into talking about the toxicities, uh, if you, you, you may have learned this in school, but there's this... Um, fairly well-known mnemonic device called Chemoman, where you draw, you know, it's not a stick figure, but it's like a bubble, you know, kind of looks like the Michelin Man, and you, so you draw a head in a circle, and then there's a circle for the mouth, and in the mouth you write M, and the M stands for mucositis and methotrexate, because methotrexate classically causes mucositis. And that's true at those traditional doses uh, back in the CMF days or back when it was used for induction for ALL. Uh, I think it's way too simplistic to, to just think, only think of methotrexate as the only chemo drug that causes mucositis. But it is something that uh, I think a lot of non-oncology pharmacists think of when they think of methotrexate. Um, the same way non-oncology pharmacists always think of uh, hemorrhagic cystitis with cyclophosphamide, even though we don't see it at you know standard doses, uh, they always think of M for mucositis. It's probably a common you know uh, exam question and board question, things like that. Uh, I don't see a lot of mucositis because we do high dose methotrexate with leucovorin rescue. Um, you can see you'll see bone marrow suppression, mucositis, increased LFTs, uh, especially with. Um, uh, high-dose methotrexate, you'll see uh, an acute transaminitis that's almost always self-limiting, and then the chronic uh, use that you see, the low weekly dose, you know, like 10 milligrams every week for, for RA or rheumatoid arthritis, you can see some chronic hepatitis in those patients as well. Uh, not, not a lot of alopecia with single-agent methotrexate, but we hardly ever give it single-agent. Okay, high-dose methotrexate, really important. This is lethal if you screw it up. This is a deadly dose of methotrexate if you screw it up. And there's a whole lot that you could possibly screw up or we could possibly screw up. So for something so dangerous, why do we do it? Well, first, overcoming resistance to methotrexate. So we're going to increase cellular entry of methotrexate into the cell. I talked about how one of the mechanisms of resistance to uh, to methotrexate by these cancer cells is they, they basically shut down the pump that allows methotrexate to be entered. Um, well, if you give really, really crazy high doses of methotrexate, you don't need that pump. You'll get passive diffusion pushing methotrexate intracellular. The other is that polyglutamation is really ramped up in cancer cells. So not only can you get methotrexate into the cell, but then it stays in the cell and it's resistant to that P-glycoprotein efflux because it gets polyglutamated very efficiently by the cancer cells. So not only does it get polyglutamated and stay in the cancer cells longer, but that polyglutamation increases the affinity for dihydrofolate reductase, so it's very sticky on its target enzyme. Uh, and that means it stays on there better. Uh, higher doses also allow for CNS penetration. That's why you see it used uh, in places like ALL, 
Burkitt's lymphoma, cancers that have a propensity to spreading to the CNS. Uh, and then for high dose, or for we use uh, doses of more than three and a half grams per meter squared uh, for CNS lymphomas. And usually those CNS lymphomas, it's uh, three and a half grams to eight grams per meter squared, usually given over uh, a shorter duration, so over four hours. So we really get a really good peak to really push a lot of it inside the CNS. A lot of the ALL uh, Burkitt's lymphoma regimens, it's one gram per meter squared over 24 hours. Okay, so that's why we do it. How do we do it? So think safety first. Uh, one, urinary alkalinization and a high urine output. Uh, methotrexate is excreted renally. It is both filtered and there's also an active secretion uh, part. So most of it's filtered and then there's an active secretion pump. Uh, that has several other substrates, and we'll talk about those when we get to the drug interaction with, with methotrexate. So methotrexate is, uh, I don't remember the chemical name for this, but it's like a two-acid amino, or two-acid uh, acid, like a dicarboxylic acid or something like that. So it has two pKa's, a pKa of 4.8 and 5.5. And because I like to make things as simple as possible for my feeble mind, imagine that methotrexate just has a pKa of 5. Uh, normal urine pH is six. Uh, let's say you're dealing with a patient who's a, uh, you know, has a, a little more acidic urine, so their urine pH is five. So if you have an acid with a pKa of five, in this example methotrexate, and a urine pH of five, when methotrexate gets into the urine, which is where it's all going to go eventually, uh, and it's a high dose, so there's going to be a lot of methotrexate in the urine. Uh, when the pKa is five and the pH is five, half of that drug is going to be ionized or in solution, half unionized and therefore at risk of precipitation. And if methotrexate precipitates in that tiny volume of the, uh, the, the kidneys, it can crystallize and cause acute kidney injury. So if we alkalinize the urine and really increase our urine output, we're going to end up filtering our, our methotrexate a lot better. One, well, we're just passing things through faster because we've increased our urine output. But if we alkalinize the urine from a pH of 5 to 6 to 7, now we've gone up, say, from a pH of 5 to a pH of 7, we've gone up a whole 2 log, which means there's almost no methotrexate at a urine pH of, of 7 that will be unionized and at risk for precipitation. So our general goals are a urine pH of greater than or equal to 7 and a urine output of more than 100 mils per hour. And always refer to individual protocols. There are some PEDS protocols, I believe, where the goal urine pH is 6.5. Uh, and over-alkalinization, so urine pH of 8, can promote methotrexate uh, elimination even too fast, and I've seen that data in children. So especially if you're working with children, uh, make sure you look at your COG or your POG, your, your, the protocol that's being used. Um, there are some patients who maybe cannot tolerate uh, the fluids that are required to alkalinize the urine, and usually you, you would do something like half normal saline plus 50 milliequivalents, or one amp, of sodium bicarb. Uh, if you can't alkalinize the urine with that, and you know, usually you would run that at a rate of 150 to 200 mils an hour. Uh, if you can't alkalinize the urine that way, you can bump up the rate. You can increase the concentration of sodium bicarb. Uh, just uh, make sure you're adding up your, uh, your sodium um, meal equivalents to make sure that you're not getting too hyper or hypotonic of a solution. Um, but if they can't tolerate the fluids and they're not getting alkalinized and you're still going to give them high-dose methotrexate, one trick you can use is adding acetazolamide, which is a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, basically ends up resulting in a wasting of bicarb in the urine. Well, bicarbonate is our base, so that's going to alkalinize the urine as well, and that can help uh, as well uh, with our methotrexate elimination. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's before you give the dose. You make sure you got your goal urine pH 
uh, and your goal urine output. And generally, your urine output is going to be about the same as what your um, your infusion rate is. So I'd never ever let our medical oncology fellows go below 100 mils per hour in any IV fluids in patients on uh, high dose methotrexate. Next, leucovorin rescue. Uh, and that needs to happen uh, usually about 24 hours after the end of the methotrexate administration. Um, so leucovorin is reduced folic acid. Methotrexate inhibits dihydrofolate reductase, so it inhibits a reduction pathway. So we give basically the byproduct of that, which is, is leucovorin. Uh, so what's, what's amazing about this, I should have led with this, this is amazing. We can give a drug that will kill the cancer cells. It will kill your normal cells unless we give those normal cells leucovorin. 20, it doesn't have to be right away, 24 hours, even 40 hours later, you can give leucovorin and you can rescue the normal cells as long as you give enough leucovorin from almost any side effect of methotrexate. So when I see these patients get high-dose methotrexate, they don't have bone marrow suppression, they don't have mucositis, they don't really have a lot of nausea and vomiting uh, because leucovorin is rescuing the healthy cells, but it's not able to rescue the cancer cells and it can't rescue the cancer cells because the cancer cells have polyglutamated the heck out of that methotrexate. So that polyglutamate, polyglutamated methotrexate is so sticky at dihydrofolic reductase, if leucovorin got into the cancer cell, it can't displace it. And leucovorin doesn't get into the cancer cell very well, we think, because that pump is inactive in a lot of cancer cells. So you gotta give leucovorin uh, at the end of the methotrexate administration. Usual dose is 10 milligrams per meter squared, or think 20 to 25 milligrams of leucovorin every six hours. Uh, and then you're gonna wanna monitor your methotrexate levels um, every 24 hours from the start of your leucovorin. Um, and if you don't, I, I can't go into what you do with those levels. It's somewhat protocol dependent, but also just Google methotrexate nomogram, Google images, and you'll find what you do. But in general, after you give methotrexate, 24 is after you're done with that, think of this, 24, 48, 72 hours, your goal should be methotrexate levels of 10, 1, and 0.1. And if it stays above 1 for too long, you have to increase your dose of leucovorin. Um, a commonly held assumption among some physicians that is that increasing the dose of leucovorin increases elimination of methotrexate. It doesn't. Increasing leucovorin just allows for better rescue of methotrexate toxicity and will help keep those healthy cells from, the, uh, from having the deadly effects of methotrexate. So again, you do that leucovorin rescue, even if you had delayed methotrexate clearance and they have to stay on their IV bicarb and their leucovorin rescue for longer than you anticipate, they generally will not have a lot of toxicity. Um, however, the one thing you will see oftentimes is transaminitis. Their LTs will bump right after the dose because you haven't given leucovorin yet. Um, and you do have to give that methotrexate like 24 to 48 hours to cook. Uh, to do its thing before you before you uh, add in the methotrexate. Uh, next important thing, screening for drug-drug interactions. So all nephrotoxins, right? We don't want to, we're given a nephrotoxin and high-dose methotrexate, uh, and we mitigate that risk of AKI by alkalinizing the urine. But sulfonamides, uh, NSAIDs, penicillin, cipro, perbenicid, all these compounds compete and use the same organic acid transport pump that's involved in the active secretion of methotrexate. Therefore, they delay methotrexate clearance. Uh, so, for instance, our order sets have a blanket to stop all those, um, anybody in high-dose methotrexate. We also hold PPIs. I'm not sold on the evidence that PPIs delay methotrexate clearance, but, hey, it's in the package insert now, uh, and it's easy enough to put someone on famotidine uh, for four or five days. Uh, they don't need the PPI in most cases. Um, 
You can see delayed clearance as well. So most of these patients, like especially a one gram dose per meter squared, it's gonna clear in, in 72 hours. If you give 12 grams per meter squared, like for osteosarcoma, it might take a little bit longer. Um, if you wanna increase that clearance, always look to make sure there's no drug interaction. Consider increasing your urine output, increasing your urine pH, uh, and then you may have to increase the leucovorin um, to minimize your bone marrow and GI toxicity. Um, and again, look at the methotrexate nomogram to guide when and how you increase the dose of leucovorin. Um, if you have acute kidney injury and severely delayed clearance by more than two standard deviation, and you'll have to look that up, uh, there is a drug called glucarpidase that can be used, and it's very, very expensive. If your physicians try to order this and it's not indicated, you've basically paid for six months of your salary. Um, a couple other things. Um, you know, you're not going to see a whole, like I said, you're, you sh if you do this right, you shouldn't see neutropenia or mucositis because leucovorin rescue, that's amazing. Um, I have only seen uh, two problems in my career with high-dose methotrexate. One was a patient uh, who refused their leucovorin. We were doing oral leucovorin. The patient refused oral leucovorin. Uh, I came in the morning and saw, oh my gosh, this patient didn't get oral leucovorin. What happened? That patient developed neutropenic fever and really bad mucositis. Um, so just missing one dose of oral leucovorin did that. Since then, we give it IV. Uh, and we used to do it IV, but then there was an IV leucovorin shortage, so we used oral. And by the way, the oral to IV uh, conversion is one-to-one -one as long as the doses are low. Once you get above 30 to 50 milligrams of oral leucovorin, the bioavailability goes down quite a bit. Uh, and the second was a PEDS uh, patient during residency uh, who had delayed methotrexate clearance and based on the nomogram required a higher dose of leucovorin. And the uh, pediatric uh, oncologist uh, did not believe me. I could not convince said uh, hematologist. Uh, I, I made a bit of a scene, and my preceptor talked to me about it, but that patient also developed neutropenic fever. Those are only two times I've seen a patient with problems with high-dose methotrexate. Again, you alkalinize the urine. You get that urine output above 100 mils. You, do your, you make sure there are no drug interactions. You do your, uh, your leucovorin rescue the right way. You should things should work out in your favor. Um, that's methotrexate. Um, I hope that you enjoy this, and I also hope to see you all a little further down the road.